You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss alongside Ulysses Sombrano, and we're the host of the Locked On Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to Locked On Rays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and online at fanstreamsports.com. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Locked On Rays. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. Today's episode of the podcast is presented by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Okay, on today's show, we continue our conversation with AJ Andrews, the host of the Locked On Blue Jays podcast, to get a further breakdown and rundown of all things Toronto Blue Jays and everything going on with uh, our AL East foes. So without further ado, let's get right into it. AJ, I, I can't believe we've, we've gotten this far into the conversation and there hasn't really been much conversation or talk about George Springer and the signing of George Springer and how much you think, and I know he's dealing with, you know, kind of a, a little ailment here, but I, I assume he'll be ready for the season or most of the season. But um, how did his signing and how does his signing change the dynamic for the team from a defense and an offensive perspective? Like how much of a game changer is this guy you think for this year and, and future years to come? Well, I mean, I, um, I know that's another thing you look at with jealousy. Cause I, I think Yoshi Susugo was the biggest free agent signing the Rays have made in the past, uh, well, Morton, I'll give you Charlie Morton, but yeah. you didn't, you didn't keep him. I'm sorry. That's still not much though. That's still like compared to other teams. That's a drop in the bucket. That's <laughs> like, yeah. Yoshi Satsugo, who hasn't as of yet worked out, although I think he will end up having, look, he'll, there'll actually be some normalcy this year, some familiarization, familiarization with major league pitching and the fastballs and the movement in all that. And I think he will is in store for, I don't want to say a breakout year, but a much better year than he had last year. But that's still at the end of the day, it, it's, you know, a two year, 12, $13 million deal plus posting fee. It's not a lot of money at the end of the day. I mean, Robbie Ray was, you know, is, is making more in one year than, than Yoshi Satsugo is for, for all intents and purposes. So it, yes, Springer was a, I mean, a gargantuan signing for, for the Blue Jays. And there is definitely some jealousy from Rays fans as well. Yeah. And, and that was the feeling the Blue Jays had after seeing free agent after free agent rebuff the team and, and go elsewhere, basically using Toronto as leverage for George Springer to commit. And, and we knew it was going to be an overpay that it was the same with Hyunjin Ryu. Everyone else was offering three years. Toronto gave him four. Everyone was offering George Springer five years. Toronto gave him six, but they needed someone to augment this core. They needed someone who could improve their defense up the middle who could be a top of the lineup bat and, and do it well and, and bring a sense of veteran leadership to a team that was real, really turning the keys over to the youngsters um, aside from like Joe panic last year. 
And George Springer checked all those boxes. And from the start of the offseason, Toronto was going to be judged on whether or not it brought George Springer into the fold. Maybe DJ LeMahieu as a backup, but George Springer was target A, B, C, and D. And actually getting their guy in here is such a huge boost this team. Like I said, I want this team to be able to play in Toronto at some point so he can get the ovation he deserves. Yes, he was part of the garbage can celebration in Houston. Don't care. He proved he can hit without the garbage can. So I feel better about that as opposed to, say, a Jose Altuve who proved that he cannot hit without, you know, 1,900 wires strapped to his chest. But having having that kind of, of player, that character player, that skilled player, be like, I see what's going on in Toronto. I want to be a part of this. Let me sign the dotted line. Let me get involved that is huge validation for for a fan base that sometimes gets a little too preoccupied with getting that validation from south of the border like they want the blue jays to be talked about they want the blue jays to be mentioned they want the blue jays to be a part of the conversation george springer made them a part of the conversation they cannot be ignored anymore last year it's like yeah the blue jays can kind of be a sleeper team and maybe sneak into the playoffs now it's like Look at us. Tell us how good we are. We are going to contend. You need to be ready. And that's what George Springer gets. Yeah, he's dealing with the oblique strain right now. Um, Hopefully it's nothing major. They are, um, they're noncommittal on whether or not he'll be ready for opening day, but the hopes are he will be. And like, again, it just, it just serves as confirmation that this team is ready to go. It's ready to compete. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. So whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? It just doesn't make any sense at all. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and remember to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you to the right place. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockado.com. I've always been curious about this of the Blue Jays and how other agents and players in free agency use the team as leverage and ultimately, I mean, for the most part, rebuff them. Why, and you have a better sense and pulse of this, why that is, is it a combination? Is there kind of a stigma of playing in another country and the taxes and going through customs and the weather maybe, or a combination of a little bit of everything, why all that is, or maybe just the Blue Jays ultimately don't match the asking price of of what these guys are looking for? Well, one, how many times does a top free agent represented by Scott Boris 
We did not like Scott Boris for a long time. Second, Aaron Sanchez signed with Scott Boris. The fan base turned on Aaron Sanchez like that. Like, how dare you go to our enemy? Um, but yeah, I, I think there is a sense of unfamiliarity with Canada that does play into that. And it's something that is only really remedied by extended stays in the country. When, um, when MLB Network's Dan Plezak was talking about his time in Toronto, he said the time he spent in Toronto were, was some of the best times of his career to the point where he came back and and had the opportunity to play again in Toronto. He was that um, effusive in his praise for the city. And, you know, like I said, Hyunjin Ryu hasn't been able to um, pitch in Toronto, but one of the things I noted when he signed is one of the biggest ovations he ever got in his career was from Toronto, from the huge uh, Korean-Canadian population that turned out to see this guy pitch. And even though he got rocked, by Toronto in that game, still got a standing ovation from opposing fans as he went off the field. There's an atmosphere in Toronto that is unmatched by anywhere in America. And once you get over the fact that, yeah, our money is rainbow colored and yeah, there's a Tim Hortons on every other block and there really shouldn't be. Once you get past those and actually look to the community and look to the people and look to the fan base and look, how appreciative they are as long as you try, as long as you give effort, as long as you work, they will love you back. And I, I don't think enough, um, enough players know that from experience yet, but you can see the guys who come up here and the guys who play here, they, they, if they give the effort, they want to stay here. Joe panic, instantly re-signed that minor league deal. Um, Marcus Simeon, you know, was told, yeah, you have to change your position. You're taking a one-year deal. Fine, bring him up. Um, But I think that image is changing for Toronto. And I think ultimately um, the city doesn't matter, but the chance to compete with a team does. And a a lot of times you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, Toronto was always third place behind New York and Boston. Boston's out of the picture right now. Boston, I don't know what's going on there. I I feel sorry for, for Gabrielle just because I don't know what they're doing. I don't know when they're going to be competitive again, but... Yeah, I don't I don't know what they're doing either. Is it a rebuild? Are they trying to stay pat? Or, like, it's, it's kind of... Uh, a mishmash of, of what they're trying to do. I, I, I guess they won't finish last in the division. I mean, that, that is probably <laughs> most likely going to go to the Orioles, but everyone's it's not thankful like, for Baltimore in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, that's an opportunity to win some ball games and to uh, gain some leverage in the division there with that. Also, you mentioned in reference, Tim Hortons, I've been to Tim Hortons, I think twice, once in Michigan and once uh, when there were like little Tim Hortons kiosk uh, at Amelie arena where the Tampa Bay lightning play and uh, some of the best coffee I've ever had. So I, <laughs> I, I would be okay with having a Tim Hortons on every single corner in Tampa or within uh, drive time, because it, maybe it's, it's something where it's like uh, up there. It's like, Oh, uh, there's Tim Hortons on every block, sort of like Starbucks here or whatever. Yeah. But I, I am a fan of the Tim Hortons. That's for I, sure. That is- I grew up in a town of 10,000 people. There were nine Tim Hortons in that town. 
Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing right now. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's also free to sign up. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and use that promo code locked on, L O C K E D O N. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. You should know it. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. I said it, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all of their bars. They've got like 18, 19, 20 different flavors. They're always coming out with new flavors and they are all incredibly, incredibly delicious. And you should absolutely get some for yourself. So go to builtbar.com or go to at bar underscore built on Twitter. And remember to use that promo code locked 15 L O C K E D the numerals one five to get 15% off your next order. That is locked 15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com and try out the absolute best tasting protein bar. You will not regret it. I can tell you that for sure. Charlie Montoya, the the manager of the Blue Jays, and he was a longtime coach uh, within the the Rays organization, especially at the the AAA club with the Durham Bulls. And I understand that he got a contract extension. I think for he's he's locked up for the next two seasons or so. Um, you know, AJ, how do you think he has done in his role with the Blue Jays? And is he? I mean, do you see him as the viable answer long term? for for running this team where there's a lot of expectations and a lot of money spent and it's like well we need and have to be competitive in 22 23 24 25 and really through the you would think the length of George Springer's contract if not longer um i think when Charlie Montoya was hired by um Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro they were looking for someone who would combine what they liked about John Gibbons, which was the ability to be a player's manager, to know how to vibe in the clubhouse, how, how to look after um, the athletes from, from a mental perspective, but bring in the analytics that they wanted to use with the team and, and the versus like build off what they wanted, the versatility, the, um, uh, the, the ability to play matchups with the pitchers, like, like they wanted someone to combine those worlds and, you know, Montoyo had been getting buzz for a little bit as a potential managerial candidate. So when the Blue Jays landed him, um, I, I think there was enough excitement over getting a guy who was seen to be on the rise. This wasn't, um, this, this wasn't a retread hire. This was someone who was going to grow with this team and be ready to pull the right levers when the time came. And Montoyo's had two years to get to know the players on his team, get to know what they can do, get to know how they want to be treated. And for a younger team, like even with Springer and Simeon signing, it's still a younger team. Knowing how to handle those guys is going to be crucial to getting the best out of them. Like 
they're they're still growing into themselves as major league players. So you got to be able to handle them correctly. And Montoya has shown a decent job at doing that, even as these guys get shifted around, as Vladdy goes to first base, as Kevin Biggio goes to third base, as you know, Bo Bichette deals with trade rumors and, and Francisco Lindor rumors as Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez come into their own in the outfield. He's been able to pull those levers and, and maintain positive growth out of the majority of those guys. And I think he's equipped to continue to do that. Does he need to get a, a little better with his bullpen management? Maybe. There have been some question marks on that regard. But he's also going to have a lot of different arms to play with. So that's going to be something that he's going to learn as the season goes on. And hopefully again, by the time this team is ready to compete, which maybe next year, maybe this year, if you know, the injuries would just stop for one freaking moment, then that might lead to, to the success that the front office envisioned when they brought Montoya in. Cause like, I mean, y'all weren't going to miss him. You have Kevin Cash. You're fine. You're good. You have the mad genius to, you know, pull Blake Snow in the fifth inning of a potentially serious World Series game. Like, I, like how, how are you feeling with that, Kevin? Because, like, I, I don't know. If Charlie Montoyo had, like, Sunjin Ryu out there in, in the fifth inning and was like, yeah, we're, we're pulling you. I, I would have screamed my head off. I'm like, I'm like, what, what is the thinking here? Yeah. So, I, have you I, recovered from that? I, I will say AJ that time does heal all wounds or most wounds. And that has been the case. Like I've almost completely and utterly moved on from that moment until you brought it up just now and, and realizing, I guess what made, made, that moment start to go away from me a little bit is the fact that Blake Snell is no longer on the team. So there aren't constantly questions asked by local media. I'm sure he gets the question every now and then with San Diego and so forth. But right now it's like, okay, he's not even on the team. So he's not even really a thought as of right now, but you know, I gotta be honest, looking back at that moment and happening in real time. I mean, it's something that the Rays had been doing for most of the year that had been their plan really to have most of their starting pitchers be five and dive guys. Now I, I understand there, there has to be some nuance with that. You just can't say, Oh, this is what we do. We're going to do this hundred percent of the time because Blake Snell was dealing and didn't really seem to be showing any sl- signs of being hit or slowing down. But at the same time, the, the Rays got to the dance. They got to that point by, really using their, their starting rotation and their bullpen 50, 50, what, you know, I have the biggest issue with in that moment was not necessarily about taking Blake Snell out. I understand that third time through the order and the analytics and everything that's tied in with that. But it's the fact that they went to Nick Anderson, they went to the well one too many times, a guy that um, had been overworked, overused, and had been struggling as of late in the last couple of series. And that wasn't the guy to go to. I know he's the big name. I know, but he, I mean, if I can see it from watching the game on my laptop or on my TV from 15, 2000 miles away, that uh, he looks tired out there. His, his fastball doesn't have the rise that it should. It doesn't have the velocity that it should. He's getting hit like he's never gotten hit before in a raised uniform. Maybe that's not 
the guy to go to. Maybe go to a, a different, unique arm angle type, whether it was Ryan Thompson or Diego Castillo, and go on from there. So that was my biggest issue with it. Not that they pulled Blake Snell, but for who they replaced him with. And I know the the question always goes back to Kevin Cash and him taking Blake Snell out. But at the end of the day, so much of the directive comes from the front office. Yeah, Kevin Cash has some say and has some decision-making, but there's there's also a blueprint that he, there's a reason he signed a long-term contract because he's not willing to buck that blueprint. He, blueprint. He's willing to follow it to a T and, and that organizational ethos of, of what they're trying to do and, and how they're trying to get leverage and, and utilize matchups and uh, everything that's tied in with all that. But um, yeah, it, the, the other thing with that too, is that the Rays also have to score some runs. Like the, the Rays weren't winning a championship. They weren't winning the world series uh, when it's only the Randy Rosarina show. They, they got to have, they, they had to have other guys step up, whether it was Brandon Lau or Austin Meadows or, name any other player on the roster instead of being a team that was striking out. They, they, their strikeout rate was so high um, really in, in the regular season, but especially in the playoffs that there has not been another world series winning team in the last, I think decade, 12 years or so, maybe even longer than that, that had a strikeout rate as exorbitant as the Rays had. Like that, that was the issue at the end of the day. I mean, you, you're not going to, I don't think you're not going to beat the Dodgers scoring just one run. And even if you win that game, you still got to come back and and win a game seven there. So um, we, I kind of realized that, you know, the, the Rays, and, and there were so many other miracle moments. Like I, I don't want to say, and it's so unfair to say that the Rays had some luck on their side, but they did have some luck on their side and some of the balls bouncing their way. I mean, in the Astros series, they were up 3-0 and the Astros make a comeback. And there were so many times in that game, there were so many hard hit balls that for whatever reason found a Rays player's glove or made a play, you know, a a, a, a 2% chance of making a play. The Rays made that play and, and won games at the margin. So, um, you know, and, and they were great in the regular season for sure and, and overcame a lot of adversity and injuries and COVID. But there, there was also a little bit of luck on their side. I mean, Brett Phillips, like who could have, who could have explained that happening? Who could have explained Randy Rosarina breaking records by guys named Ruth and, and Bonds and Jeter? Like you, you don't expect that type of thing. And, and it only goes so far when you run up and run into a juggernaut like the Los Angeles Dodgers. So uh, AJ, long story short, I have moved on from it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that hopefully Rays fans are, are kind of moving on from it and saying, okay, new season, new ball game. Let, let's see what we can do in 2021 and go from there. Now I do, I do think that uh, the Rays, I mean, as they're currently built and losing Snell and losing Morton, that, I look at this year, I think the Rays are absolutely going to be competitive and fun to watch and could make an interesting run and sneak into the playoffs. Or maybe, who knows, We it's a long season. The Rays very well could win the division. But I see this as kind of your, this is a transition year for the Rays. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a transition year to see what you got, which prospects can make it, and look forward to 22, 23, 24. I mean, the, the Rays have all but said this is kind of a, a patchwork year. We're going to do what we can this year. I mean, it, they added Rich Hill. They added Michael Walker. They added Chris Archer. They added Colin McHugh. I mean, they realized that, uh, you know, th- 
they're kind of piecemealing this thing together and seeing what they can get by with and, and go with. So, um, that that's kind of where the, the, the rays are at as of right now, but I certainly, you know, I mean, look, if the, if the blue Jays keep going, if guys keep going down for the blue Jays, I certainly could see the Rays finishing second in the division, but um, I, I think it's going to be a really fun year. I, I don't know about you, AJ, but I think it's, it's going to be a really good battle between the, the Yankees Rays and blue Jays all season. And it, and it very well, I mean, in my opinion, maybe could come down to the, the last week, last couple of weeks where it's a lot of shifting and maneuvering within the division and, and who gets the top spot and, and maybe a wild card from there. So if we have entered the prediction phase of our yes. crossover day, you're saying you see the AL East as a three-horse race instead of a two-horse race. That is correct. All right. Well, I admire your optimism. Um, you only I, see it as a two-horse race, I guess? Well, here's the thing. Um the Rays have a similar issue to the Yankees and the Blue Jays in that they are relying on retread arms to fill out that rotation and their success will be determined by how well those arms do. The problem is the Rays do not have an offense as you yourself have admitted. They do not have an offense to keep up with the Blue Jays and the Yankees should those starters fail. And I think that's going to be the big issue. Like, I mean, I know there wasn't a lot of turnover um, from a lineup standpoint. You you still have the same starting lineup that you had in that ill-fated game six against the Dodgers. All nine of those guys are still here. Um, like, it, it will be determined how much you get out of, um, out of, say, you know, if Yoshi Susugo adjusts better in this season – um, how much you still have in the tank from like Kevin Kiermeyer, like like there are, there are guys you're relying on to improve that may not have any more runway to improve, and that that is my big concern with the Rays. You have a lot of versatile guys. You have someone who could be a dark horse MVP candidate in Brandon Lau, but. Can you muster enough offense on a consistent basis without Hunter Renfro sneaking grand slams into that little tiny corner patch of Tropicana Field that really should not be there, but you put it in there anyway? Yeah, that, that, that's that's going to be the key. And and here's what I'll say to that. And again, not trying to be uh, a raised homer here, but um, you know, if you look at last season and especially in the playoffs, like Brandon Lau. He didn't, he, he, I mean, he played like a minor leaguer. He, it, it was, it was not good for him and it was not good for Austin Meadows. I, I think this is a year where not only the Rays are now, if, if we get into the playoffs and we face really tough pitching, I could see the Rays, I mean, getting bounced out pretty quickly, but as far as the regular season and outperforming expectations, I mean, the Rays have done that pretty much every year with, I mean, fan graphs and baseball perspectives, they, they, they always project them to win fewer games than they actually win. And, They've been doing that the last several years, but I expect, um, you know, the, the Rays actually, I mean, during the regular season, they, they had one of, they, they were above average and runs scored, which was actually surprising in a sense. And now some of that was what Randy Rosarena was able to do towards the tail end of the season. And I think he'll, he'll probably most likely absolutely take a step back. But I also think, you know, Austin Meadows season was wrecked last year. He is, and I know it's only spring training, but he is, he is in better shape. He is turning on the ball. 
Uh, he is looking really good. I think he has four home runs in spring training thus far. He says he is back to his normal self, that he feels balanced and comfortable at the plate. If you get 29 production from Austin Meadows, that's huge. I expect Yoshi to, to make bigger strides. Um, you know, there, there's other guys on this roster that, you know, and it's also a matter of health too. Like Yandy Diaz, if, if you can get a full season from him thereabouts, if, if you can get a full season from Kevin Kiermeyer, and I know that like absolutely never happens, but maybe this is the year that it finally happens. And then there's other, there's some other, you know, good prospects on the come up. I think it's going to be one of those things where the Rays could, they might not look very good or they might struggle in the first half of the season. And then at some point, if some of those young hotshot prospects, a la Brent Honeywell, Luis Patino, whoever it may be, Shane McClanahan, if those guys are dealing at the minor leagues and it's kind of like uh, their ace in the hole, their, their, their magic trick that they can pull out and, and call up in June or July and really surprise and shock some people that might, you know, if, if there's one thing the Rays have on their side this year that I think might be more important than every other year ever really uh, is the depth factor is they, they might, you know, they might not have these superstar quality guys at the top, but they got a lot of guys. If so many pitchers, like if Rich Hill and, and Michael Walker turn and Chris Archer don't do much of anything. Okay. we'll we'll turn to Josh Fleming then. We'll, we'll turn to somebody else that can give us, you know, Cody Reed will put in more of a bulk. We'll call up Luis Patino. We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll make it work one way or the other. But I think, you know, long story short, I think it, the, the Rays are going to be more competitive than what many or most people think, especially as we get into perhaps the dog days of, of August and in September, that, that could really be a tipping point where the Rays have some of these high level prospects that they can call up and fill in, in a pinch. If some of the other arms on other teams are, are down and battered and out. And I I'll, I'll go ahead and lay it on the line, AJ. I'll say the Rays and we can come back. You can play this tape again. You can, you can call me out uh, five, six months from now. Uh, the Rays will finish at least second in the division this year. Ooh. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like that because then that probably means the Yankees had a bad year. That's I possible. like that a lot. Um, I will say this. I don't see the Rays finishing any worse than third in the division just because Boston and Baltimore. I mean, yeah, they're, even they're... if you are picking up their fringe 40-man pitchers, I mean, I – I can't, I can't argue with your methods given how much success you've had with guys like Oliver Drake, who uh, was the pre- predecessor of Joel Pamps and getting passed around the EL East like a bag of wine at a university party. Right. Um, so if anyone's going to be able to get anything out of retreads like Michael Waka and Chris Archer, who a lot of Blue Jays fans really wanted Chris Archer. I'm like, no, we don't really need Chris Archer. We can, we can do better. Um, but yeah, it is going to be heavily predicated on the success you have in replacing those innings you got from Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, like Ryan Yarbrough is your number two now. And yes, he seems to be bulletproof against the Blue Jays, but how's he going to hold up as a number two starter over the course of a season? Like, 
And and then again, you have those questions. If you rely on Brent Honeywell, how's he going to do after this long road he's taken to actually get to the major leagues? How is Luis Patino going to be able to jump up immediately? Um, is Shane McClanahan ready for an extended stint? There are a lot of question marks that are going to have to be answered. And, you know, ultimately we won't know during the season, but I, I like the answers that Toronto has had so far. And I think that puts them above Tampa Bay. And I, I think you're right. It will be competitive, but ultimately I see the Blue Jays finishing ahead of the Reyes and it will depend on the Yankees pitching staff where they go. But yeah, it's, and, it's, and it's going to be competitive. That's, that's the big thing. Yeah, I agree with you on that 100% for sure. And that's a good point about Ryan Yarbrough, that he is stepping into an elevated role there. And I think that, you know, it's funny because he he's given a lot of innings for the Rays the last three years. I mean, he was second on the team in innings the last three years, 2018, 2019, 2020. Now they did it a little bit differently, him in a bulk role, pitching behind openers and so forth. But you just wonder, like, that is kind of uh, – well, Ryan Yarbrough is your number two. Is that really like, like, again, come playoff time, if the Rays are able to find their way into the playoffs, like that, that would be the concern is that they don't have a super strong one, two, three as of yet. But again, this is also the team that, um, I mean, who would have known last year that Aaron Sleegers and John Curtis would be big names and making big plays throughout the season. Like they, they were has-beens, they were cast-offs and the Rays turned them into excellent, superb relievers. And that's something that, you know, there's probably a guy that, and it's probably not going to be David Hess, but a guy of that ilk that, that blows up and it's like, where did the race find this guy? And, and how is he having success? Like a Stetson alley or a Brian Moran. Or I was about to like say that. Brian Moran. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that could be something there with that. In fact, um, I think to end the show, I think it'd be fun to do a little bold prediction and I will go ahead and give mine besides the fact of the Rays. Uh, I think they'll finish at least second in the division. I will go out on a limb and say that Ryan Yarbrough, leads the Rays in innings pitched this year. That that's my bold bold prediction. I don't know if you've got one for the Blue Jays, but um <clears throat> one, I will always have a soft spot for Ryan Yarbrough because he literally won me a fantasy league because the commissioner decided to re- include relief wins as a stat and <laughs> Ryan Yarbrough was essentially a reliever acting like a starter so I can bank on him getting wins and that was his rookie campaign when he had like 16. So I I will always appreciate Ryan Yarbrough for that. Um, my bold prediction is that the Blue Jays will have at least seven batters hit 20 home runs this year. At least seven. Mm. Um, I'm, I'll go names. I'll go names. Bichette, Guerrero, Teoscar, Gurriel, Springer, Simeon, and Rowdy Telez. Those seven will hit the 20 home run plateau. And and there is room to be joined if, you know, Randall Gritchick isn't traded for pitching help, which he should be already. Why haven't they traded Randall Gritchick already for pitching help? But, um, yeah. And I, I'm still, even with the, the curse of Dunedin placed on this team when it comes to injuries, I still think they win the division. That's what I say. Okay. We once again want to thank AJ for joining us on the pod, getting 
a very in-depth rundown on the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, that wraps up this edition of the Locked On Rays podcast. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of the Locked On Today podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.